from Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Dairy Show. I'm your host, Katie Schmidt, and joining me today for our fourth episode is a Minnesota dairy farmer and the founder of The Greater Good, uh, Miss Christine Leonard. Welcome to The Dairy Show, Christine. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me on. All right. As we get started, I'm going to have you do a brief introduction of yourself and cover your connection to dairy. Sure. So um, I grew up with dairy. I'm the sixth generation on our farm. We milk 45 registered Holsteins about 45 minutes west of Minneapolis. Uh, so growing up, I showed I did dairy judging and dairy bowl with um, 4-H kind of at the local and the state level. Um, I was a county dairy princess, a princess Kate finalist and really pretty involved with dairy at a local level. Um, but actually, when I went to college, I had no intention really of returning home to the farm, um, mostly because I just didn't really see how it was going to be possible um, for me to farm at the size and scale that I wanted to. Uh, but as we all know, the dairy community sort of has a way of pulling you back in. So um, by the end of my freshman year at the University of Wisconsin Stout, I had changed to a food science and technology major. Um, and my goal was really to learn what happens between the farm and the table. You know, we talk a lot about growing up, I knew a lot about the farm side and definitely enjoyed foods at the table side, but really didn't know that processing part of it. Um, and so suddenly I felt that tug that I think a lot of farmers feel, um, where you're like, I think, I think I'm supposed to go home. I think I'm meant to work with cows. And so before I graduated, I was, you know, asking my parents like, Hey, you know, can I come home? I really want to farm with you guys. I really want to try it. Uh, and they said, no, um, they were kind of getting set up to retire. They, uh, didn't really have, they weren't really planning on transitioning to another generation. Um, and so I kind of had to figure out what I was going to do then. So I went up and worked up at Redhead Creamery, which is a farmstead artisan creamery um, in Bruton, Minnesota. And that's really where I fell in love with kind of the farmstead aspect and artisan cheese aspect. Um, I, you know, one of the coolest things about working there was if, you know, I was scheduled to milk in the morning, the milk was gravity fed in a pipeline right into their pasteurizer tank. And then after milking, you'd get cleaned up, you'd shower and change into your creamery clothes. And then by two o'clock that afternoon, you're eating a cheese curd that you've helped milk that morning. And um, there is really not a cooler feeling than that. Um, so... I really wanted to bring that home. Like I said, we're 45 minutes west of Minneapolis. We're right off the uh, main highway. Um, and I really thought it was something that could work for us. And so I kind of continued, you know, nagging on my parents a little bit like, hey, is it time for me to come home yet? Is there still a chance? Um, and I can actually still remember my dad called me and he said, you know, hey, I, I bought some alfalfa seed and I'm thinking about putting that in if you still want to come back home, which I think, you know, a farmer really understands, I think, what that means. It means you're not 
you're not just, uh, you know, you're setting up for a few years in the future. You're not just thinking about next year. So um, I've been home farming with them since uh, January of 2018. Uh, I've learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot every day. It's one thing to work for your parents. It's a whole different thing to work with your parents. Um, but so far, I think it's been working out pretty well. What have some of those struggles been in, in that transition period of working for your parents into working with your parents? I, I, we didn't have that planned for this discussion, but I think that's huge for our dairy community. Well, the biggest thing for me was instead of being, hey, dad, this broke. Will you go fix it? It was like, hey, dad, this broke broke, I guess you better teach me how to fix it, you know, and sort of learning that balance. Um, I think one of the things that's made my dad a successful farmer is how particular he is. We all know a lot of farmers, I'm sure, that are quite particular. And so learning to do things to his standard, but also stepping in and saying, hey, I've researched this, I've looked this up, here's the proof, and let's try it this way. And really kind of earning his trust to work with him um, has been really fun. And it's been a challenge. It's been a really good challenge, though. I don't think challenges are necessarily negative things. I think that they help us to be more creative and think of better solutions. Couldn't agree more. That That is so, so true. And I think something that a lot of young dairy producers can relate to, uh, especially as they, and I think people in, in general, like as you transition from being your parent's kid into being your parent's adult child. So you're, you're all adults in a relationship and it's no longer like that really you rely on them, but you want to have a different type of relationship with them. So, okay. So you mentioned a little bit about, um, so now you're taking over the farm, but what does the your farm in the future look like? What what are what's your vision and goal for for your place? So, like I said, we milk forty five cows right now, and everybody always asks, "Hey, Christine, when are you gonna when are you gonna get bigger? When are you gonna expand?" And actually, my plan is the complete opposite. My goal is to milk maybe ten or fifteen cows, um, and I would like to uh, seasonally calve them in so that I can graze them um, when Minnesota has good grazing weather. And then I'd like to make cheese. So that's my twenty thirty goal. I've got. Uh, you know, 10 years to get there. Um, but we're taking steps to kind of work towards that goal already. Do you do you have a type of cheese picked out that you want to work with? I don't yet. And uh, talking to some of the cheesemakers in Minnesota and stuff, uh, kind of the best avenue is really to see what the market needs at that point in time. Um, what the what kind of the, the vendors are looking for. Um, there's a lot of artisan cheese being made. Um, but I think that as long as you're making a really high quality product and you have a really good story to tell, there's still going to be room in the market um, for everybody. Yeah, I think you're completely right. And your first kind of step into making relations with people in the artisan cheese world uh, after leaving Redhead has been starting the greater good, which uh, for our listeners, that's a greater as in like a cheese grater, which I think is fantastic. And, and really, you've used that as a way to diversify the farm and your income and, and really, again, use it as your introduction into that world. But tell me the story about how that came to be and that brand started and what it looks like today? Yeah, so my plan to diversify actually started out looking a lot different. It had a lot of different names. I was initially convinced that I was going to bottle milk, that that was when I came home, that's what we were going to do. Uh, and the main reasons for that was uh, because I thought it would be the easiest. I thought it would take the least amount of time. I thought it had the fastest turnaround rate. You know, there's no time to age cheese or anything in there. Um, 
And then, so it's my dad and I doing the full-time farming. My mom works off the farm. She has a career as a dietitian. And I very quickly learned uh, that there are only so many hours in the week. And the 25 to 30 hours a week, every week, that I was going to have to spend in a bottling plant uh, by myself on top of the more than full-time commitment that dairy farming is looked uh, less and less appealing all the time. And then I reached out to people in the community that are doing bottled milk, especially in, I was going to do glass jars, you know, and, um, the, it was not, not as streamlined of a process as I kind of thought it was going to be. So we sort of, the brainstorming sort of continued around the time kind of that I was finally accepting that maybe that wasn't the direction for me to go. Um, I had been making cheese trays to sort of, sort of share with my friends and family. Uh, and I'd post the pictures on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat or whatever. And, um, I had a friend reach out and she was like, Hey, uh, could you make me one of these? I'll pay you for it. So I was like, yeah, sure. So that was two years ago. I think I made three cheese platters that season. I made about $6. Um, I wasn't charging enough. I was buying cheese at retail price. I was putting way too much product on the board. You know, just lots of like little mistakes. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. My order sheet was a mess. I just had people pick out the cheeses that they wanted. And, you know, they didn't know anything about artisan cheese. So, so, so what what does it look like today? So that's that's kind of where we started, and and today, two years later, what what do you know? So late in summer of 2019, I actually reached out to a few different mentors. Um, one of them, she actually runs a successful cheese board business up in Fargo, and they kind of helped me talk through and get a better setup going. Um, and so I've been perfecting the order method, the cheese pairings and varietals that I use. Um, and so today I offer six different platter sizes from one person up to 50 people um they can choose either adventurous cheese or they can choose a more traditional route so adventurous would have maybe some of your softer stinkier cheeses traditional would have more just like well-aged cheddars goudas you know more things people are more comfortable with uh they can add meat um It'll come on a custom-made board with nuts, dried fruits, local jams, honeys, pickled things, you know, whatever I think is going to pair best with the cheeses that I've selected for them. Uh, and then I do on-farm pickup or I can meet, I can do like a drop-off, I guess, for an additional fee. Um, but kind of one of the biggest takeaways I had from working with those mentors is that don't let people choose their own cheeses. You choose for them. You know, I'm, I, and this allows me to have only, you know, I have six cheeses on stock at a like in stock at a time um so I don't have to have that much space to store a whole variety of cheeses and then I'm also introducing people to cheeses that they maybe wouldn't have tried before I don't offer any other menu items besides the cheese boards uh, they're what I'm good at they're what I have time and capacity to offer right now the name my sister-in-law helped me come up with that <laughs> I'm a huge pun fan so the greater good kind of gave that cheese impression uh, but also kind of had that playful feel to it yeah your your social media is full of cheese puns and every time they come across I just I find myself laughing at them. So if people are looking for a good laugh each day. Uh, the cheese puns are worth it. But part of part of your other or another part of this business, right, is teaching classes, though, right? Um, so what kind of classes are you teaching? And who's coming to them? Who who's your audience? 
So participants in classes so far have ranged in everything from girls' nights or bachelorette parties um, to couples' nights, sort of a fun group activity. Um, I'll be doing an online class with one of the sororities at the University of Minnesota. And then uh, last February, I did a Valentine's Day class, which was on February 13th. I paired Valentine's candy with cheeses. So, you know, the, the crowd is kind of whoever whoever is really interested in it. And then in those classes, I guess I talk about everything, you know, kind of just the basis is I talk about how the same four ingredients, milk, rennet, cultures, and salt that make up all cheeses, you know, they can look and taste so different. How even the same cheese recipe made by the same cheesemaker um, can look and taste different depending on what that animal was eating at that point in time. Um, how the weather was the day as the cheese make, how old the cheese is, how it was stored, how the caves were while it was aging. Artisan cheese really, each batch really takes on a personality and it's fun to get to explain that to people. What do you think people are most surprised to learn uh, when you're talking about all of those different aspects of cheese making? I think that people are most surprised to learn that cultures or bacteria molds are actually a good thing. You know, the cheeses that the molds you're going to pick up maybe in the refrigerator are completely different than the carefully selected uh, cultures that the cheesemaker is going to choose. You know, there's a whole catalog of cultures from everything from the texture of the cheeses to giving it a more caramely or savory notes. Um, there's a whole variety and a whole art to designing what goes into potentially creating a really amazing cheese so and i i enjoy uh consuming those uh very artfully crafted cheeses and venturing into the new spaces and and really learning about uh how cheese is made and and how it can be different and even if it's the same type of cheese it still tastes different depending on who's making it and that i'm always amazed by it but you're obviously not making cheese at home yet yet being the, the key word there. So what what cheese do you use? And you mentioned that it's six or seven at a time. Are you, you know, rotating throughout the seasons or is it always the same set of cheese? And how are you selecting those cheeses? Yeah, so I try to choose cheeses that are in season. Um, you know, certain times of the year or you can only make certain cheeses. One of the sheep um, she, cheap cheese makers that I work with, she offers this really incredible cheese in the spring when all of her sheep cat or when all of her sheep lambin, and um, it's got a whole different texture and it just ages way differently at that time of year that she couldn't offer it in the winter. Um, but really, the the artisan cheese community I've learned is very cool. Um, and Elise at Redhead, she's been really good about taking me, you know, when I worked there and then even after I was back home, I still did a lot of demos and stuff for her. And I got to meet a lot of different cheese makers. Um, and they're so open to sharing their what they make and how they do it um, with you. And so I've been trying to support them, use what they have, what the, what's in season. Um and it, their personalities really reflect through their cheeses, and it's really fun to get to feature different people every time. What are some of your favorite ones to use? Oh. <laughs> or what's, what's in your fridge now? Maybe that's the better question to ask. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I like I said, Red Hat, they, Red Hat Creamery had a really they set a really awesome foundation for me. So I almost, they have a lot of variety too. So they're almost always on at least one of them on my board. Um, right now I'm working with a uh, Danae dairy, which is a goat dairy. Um, that's about 45 minutes from me. Uh, like I said, that sheep creamery that I'm working with, that's called shepherd's way farms. They're, 
incredible to work with. They do a great job with their sheep and their cheeses are award-winning. Um, Cannon Bells, they're located in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. They are just, they just broke ground on a new creamery. They were making cheese at the U of M before that. Uh, so those ones are all in my fridge right now. But like I said, I'll be pulling in some new ones. I think I'll be, I'm just getting some Caves of Faribault cheeses coming up here pretty soon too. So Wow. So, okay. If, if people have had cheese boards, we know how visually appealing they are. Uh, when I try to make cheese boards at home, I just go for visually appealing and I really don't know what I'm doing or how I'm supposed to put stuff together. I'm just like, oh, this looks good next to this one. And if I cut this a different way, it'll look cool if I cut this one a different way. And it just basically becomes a, just a giant pile of cheese, but I, I've, I've tried. So what's the science behind making a good cheese board and having the right combination of foods that you're including? Because it's obviously more than just cheese. Right. Um, so I usually have a designated pairing for each of the cheeses that I'm putting on that board. So if it's like a cheddar, I'll usually put that, we'll get to this in a little bit, but I usually put like an apple if I'm gonna be pairing with a cheddar or I've got some honeys that are really good with different cheeses. Um, you know, I usually pick the pairing. I put those two ingredients really close to each other. And then there's a lot of ingredients that in general pair well with cheeses. This is more like your nuts and some of your dried fruits and stuff that are just a really good, um, they're a really good board basic because they sort of go with everything um and then if there's something that i'm like that's not going to pair well with that i'll put them on opposite sides of the board and so i sort of place the cheeses place the pairings and then i fill in from there so is there a like a a chart that you can follow that says, you know, this cheese works well with this and this one doesn't, or are you, are you having the fun job of taste testing all the cheeses and, and putting them with your dried nuts or your dried fruits or pickles or olives or whatever else you might put on these uh, platters? Yeah, well, sensory sensory science is a whole different bear, uh, but it's a really fun one to get into because, like you said, it includes a lot of taste testing. And about ninety five percent of the time, I pick a really good pairing. I kind of you can usually you can pair you know you can pair something really bold with something else really bold, um, but I typically like to pair something a little milder with something really bold, and you get kind of a fun combination that way. And so, about like I said, about ninety five percent of the time, I pick a really good pairing. That other five percent of the time uh <laughs> well I'll let's just say I won't pair it again and I'll kind of remember that each you know you can kind of play on the flavors that they have so <laughs> a bit a bit of a swing and a miss <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so okay so as you're learning things and you're growing your business and you're figuring out how you fit in in the market what kind of advice do you have for other people who might be interested in starting their own small business Oh, this is a good one, a tough one. I think it's to make sure that you really enjoy the side business that you're going to be getting into. So I cheese making for me was, I mean, cheese board making for me was something that was really fun um, and something that I saw that other people enjoyed and something that I felt like I was pretty good at. And so that kind of step towards making it my side business um, kind of came naturally like that. And then when I look back to thinking about bottling milk, you know, I'm more of a cheese fan anyway. I wouldn't, that wasn't really even something that a product that I consumed a lot of. So it was really a not natural fit, something that I didn't, you know, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that probably went to work. I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. Um, 
you know, especially when you're dairy farming, you know, there's um, only so many hours in the day and it's kind of important to take that free time and make sure that you're doing something that you enjoy um, so that it's, it's not another chore that it's, you know, an opportunity, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a lot of lot of truth in that. And so we're going to wrap this up in a fun way today. Uh, and, <laughs> and you alluded to this a little bit. I, I did uh, give Christine a heads up on what we were going to talk about today for the most part. And I planned this interview because it's almost the holiday season. We're going to have cheese boards out at, at all of our Thanksgivings and our Christmases and our Friendsgivings and gatherings over the next you know two months or so. And we have traditional foods that are at all these meals. Uh, And I want to know in rapid fire, what the best cheeses are to pair with some of these foods. So beyond our cheese platter, that's gonna look gorgeous because now we know how to put things together. If we have our traditional Thanksgiving and Christmas day dinners, what kind of cheeses are we putting with these foods? I'm nervous. Are you ready? I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> okay. We're going to start with the easy one, I, I hope. Uh, turkey. I would put a stinky wash dry and cheese with it. So that's like your French style Munsters for you Wisconsinites out there. That's like your Limburger. I think it could take something bold like that. Okay. Okay. How about the cranberries? I know this is mostly a cow podcast, but I'm going to have to go with a goat cheese here. I'd put a chev with that, a fresh chev and a cranberry sauce. That would be delicious. That, that's a-okay with me. Uh, we do have goat parlors in our trade toad expo, so oh, goats are totally fair game. Uh, okay, next meat on the uh, menu here, we have ham. Okay. My mind when I go to ham is leftover ham, and there's nothing better than a leftover ham and American cheese sandwich. I know I can come off as maybe a little pretentious with my artisan cheeses, but American cheese has a time and a place, and I think that place is with ham on a breakfast sandwich. (laughs) I think you're right. That's like a a salad (laughs) staple for everyone everywhere. So good. Okay. Apple pie cheddar you know what do they say uh apple without cheese is like a hug without a squeeze that's where your cheddar's gonna come into play you know they say that and i don't think i've ever paired those yet so i'm gonna have to do that because if it's a thing it's a thing it's a thing okay uh pumpkin pie Okay, so you sent me these ahead of time. I had to think about this one a lot, and I had a flashback to one of my friends made me this brie pumpkin dessert. You put a a brie wheel down, you put pumpkin pie filling on top, and then a little pumpkin pie spice, and then you have, like, you make pie crust with it, like, just as, like, the dipping as the cracker. Pop that in the oven for a while, get that brie nice and melty. Honestly... I'm going to have to make it again here pretty soon because that was like two years ago that she made that and I still am thinking about it. So that sounds heavenly. Heavenly. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) How about about our mashed potatoes? Ooh, classic blue with that. Okay. Blue cheese, mashed potatoes and steak. Well, I guess it's not steak because it's Thanksgiving, but it's still the same point. Yeah. Yeah. That works. There we go. (laughs) Okay. How about your stuffing or dressing, whatever you want to call it? Okay, this one was also really hard. Uh, my two thoughts were either like a Gouda with that. I think that would taste pretty Gouda. Or 
or a feta. I think that that kind of acidity of the feta would also be a nice mixture in there. Yeah, that's you're probably right. Uh, if it was my mom making it, she'd probably try to sneak some Velveeta in there. And I don't know that that counts for real cheese. <laughs> no, no. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, it has a time and a place, and maybe stuffing is the place for it. <laughs> well, it's definitely in hot dishes and mac and cheese, so it, yep. it has a place. You're right. Okay, so green bean casserole, what, what would you pair that with? Again, this one was a thinker. And I decided on fresh cheese curds. You get those squeaky curds, you put them on top, let them just just a little bit melty. I think that would be the perfect, perfect bite. A cheese curd and some green bean casserole. The only appropriate time to use casserole over hot dish. Got to get that Minnesota roots in there. It's in there. (laughs) You know, with two Minnesotans on this podcast, you're going to hear no disagreement from me. I have the argument all the time out here, though, uh, with my fellow coworkers at Expo. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up with one last one. And this is maybe one we can use beyond the holidays. But if you're making a salad, just like a regular leafy green salad, not good, like apple chicken or apple snicker salad where it's not really a salad um what, what kind of cheese are you putting on regular salads you know parmesan or like a shredded shredded cheddar honestly anything leafy greens take on so many flavors so well it almost comes down more to your dressing but my go-to usually is parmesan Okay. Are there other staples of the holidays of foods that, that, that we missed in our list that you would pair food or cheeses with? That is, well, you know, cheese by itself. I don't know. I'm just, I'm a big, I'm a big cheese board fan in case you couldn't tell, but. Could, could you put cheese with like cookies, like Christmas cookies or ginger cookies Ooh. or molasses cookies? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, a brie with like a ginger snap is really good. So any of your like, or your like triple creams, any of that, you know, dense bloomy rind cheeses. Very good. Very Interesting. good. That sounds delicious. So mm-hmm. good. Okay. So we've done our game uh, and we're going <laughs> to wrap up and I'm going to have you tell people where they can follow along uh, with your, your greater good and check out all the, the beautiful cheese boards and the cheese puns. Yeah. So um, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. It's at the greater good MN. And like Katie said at the beginning, greater spelled G R A T E R like a cheese grater. Um, and so yeah, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to check out my website, it's www.thegreatergoodmn.com. Um, or you can send me an email at thegreatergoodmn at gmail.com. So. Nice and easy. I love consistency across handles yeah. and websites. <laughs> it makes it so much easier for people who are looking for you. So, all right. Well, that yeah. is perfect. And that is what I have planned for today. So thank you so much for joining me, Christine. I have loved this thoroughly. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been really fun. And that is a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in and giving this a listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you are hearing this on. And don't forget to tell your friends about The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. 
And last but not least, if you have any guest suggestions of people you want to hear from or topics you would like us to cover, feel free to send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, I'm Katie Schmidt, and this is The Dairy Show.